Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cave the Cross Projects. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're on chapter four of our book uh, by John Frame, Apologetics, A Justification of Christian Belief. And uh, we've kind of uh, been building into now um, apologetics as proof section. And we're kind of going to tackle one of uh, the big ones that have come out uh, uh, probably most recently that kind of presuppositionalists have found maybe even the most beneficial than um, than any of the other uh, classical uh, arguments, maybe since the Kalam argument, but that's a tag or the transcendental argument. And so, uh, you know, if you want to be cool, you say tag. <laughs> the people right. in the know are in the so, know. Yeah. So we're going to say tag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we want to be cool. Right. Yeah. And also, when you're writing those uh, dissertations, it really that's helps right. to... to, to <laughs> Put those in there. <laughs> Sorry. Right, so apologetics is proof. We're talking about the transcendental argument on chapter four here, and uh, so and, and and people should be aware that this is probably uh, when people think of uh, presuppositional apologetics, this is the argument that they think about. Yeah, and we, and, uh, and you know, so it is extremely important. Now, uh, frame is a presuppositionalist, right? But it's interesting what he's going to do here in this chapter with regard to this particular argument. He's right. going to kind of be real, you know, um, uh, soft in terms of the acceptance of this argument. Right. He's going to he's going to say, yes, I agree with it, but it has various problems. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's being an honest and straightforward philosopher and theologian as he you know, as he deals with this. So I, this is rather refreshing. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to see him as he works through these various issues that he's going to find with this argument. Yeah. And and this is exactly kind of the reason why he's writing the book uh, is because uh, and, and, and why um, those who kind of start a movement want people to write and critique them uh, because that that's where the movement grows. That's where it gets its teeth. That's where it uh, finds, uh, you know, where the outside edges are and tries to soften them and expand it. Um, and, and uh, you know, w with Vantel of who he was writing to and how he was writing, um, some some things got left in, in, in the dust, not, not uh, you know, for reasons that, uh, that were on purpose, but uh, men only live a certain amount of time and then they die. And so, uh, you know, you, you, you have, you have Bonson that continues on and, uh, and then, you know, once he died, we have all the predecessors of the pre, um, the, the, those who have come after him. And, um, and so a frame, I think, uh, you're right. does, does a good job. And we, we've seen, um, uh, in our interview, uh, we, we had to touch on a little bit with, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Anderson, uh, he loves the tag. He's um, developed tag a, a lot as well. So um, uh, he would he would even take a, probably um, a, a good um, understanding from from frame here as well, just to get um, kind of two giants of now uh, talking yeah. about it. So um, so and I'll include the way, a link uh, to the tag uh, uh, portion of our interview with Dr. Anderson. Um, yeah, that, uh, that's, below that's, yeah, that's a good idea. He he is one of the endorsers of this book, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, on the back there, John Friends' apologetics to the glory of God brought about a paradigm shift, he says, in my understanding, not only of apologetics, but of all other intellectual endeavors as a Christian. Wow, so mm. that's pretty high praise, right? Yeah. Ever since then, he says, I 
It has been the first book I recommend to those looking for an introduction to Christian apologetics. So that's Dr. Anderson there from Reformed Theological Seminary. So, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, he, he definitely endorses uh, Frame's book here, right? Although, right. you know, there's some nuances in terms of uh, how they uh, approach things, but yeah, mm -hmm. rather interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, so he talks about uh, here in chapter four. In this chapter, we will spend some time discussing the transcendental argument for the existence of God, or again, as we're shortening it, tag. And it's a form of argumentation that has become something of the kind of bread and butter of the presuppositions. This is what we're known for. Um, this is what we're uh, positing. And uh, kind of from here, uh, we derive all our kind of sub arguments. So Cornelius Van Til understood the need to set forth the truth without compromise to require a special kind of argumentation, which he called presuppositional and sometimes transcendental. So uh, sometimes if you hear kind of people in the philosophical world, uh, in the Christian philosophical world, uh, use transcendental, that's kind of their they're uh, pointing their flag up uh, for presuppositionalism. And uh, to be fair too, uh, transcendental doesn't just pop out of Cornelius Van Til. Th this is a concept within philosophy as well. And as we'll see in just well, a moment. Well respected yeah. by those in in the philosophical departments as well as as, as being a, a, a kind of a titan argument uh, uh, as well. And so we'll see uh, uh, what it's like when, um, when Christians uh, <laughs> turn it over for the glory of God. So we will discuss TAG in terms of its background, presenting the contours of the argument in broad outline, and by raising some questions. And um, uh, this uh, will be a multi-part, probably a multi-multi-part uh, chapter discussion. So uh, we'll kind of go as slow as uh, as we need to, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get some episodes out of out of this chapter for sure. Yeah, so the first thing that frame does is give us some background with regard to the, the historic history of uh, this particular kind of argumentation. Right? He says the term transcendental became a major philosophical concept first in the writings of the highly influential thinker Immanuel Kant. Right? So Kant was an Enlightenment uh, philosopher. He lived 1724 to 1804. Extremely influential in the history of philosophy and ideas, right? Kant came to avoid the, uh, I'm sorry, to advocate the uh, transcendental argument as a new means of grounding the certainty of mathematics, science, and philosophy, right? So this argument was important for Kant. Uh, his, his method does not try to prove, and this is a basic idea here, it doesn't try to prove that genuine knowledge is possible. Well, wait a minute, I thought that's what it was all about, trying to prove <laughs> something. No, no, it rather presupposes that genuine knowledge is possible. Uh, if not, you know, Kant would argue, there is no point to any discussion or inquiry. So if we can't have it, then why in the world are we talking about it? And so Kant wants to assume or presuppose that knowledge is possible. And then he asks various questions with regard that uh, regards to that presupposition. Right. Right. So so we want to talk about, well, how do we know things? And in order to know how we know things, we have to assume that we know things. And so or that we can know them. that yeah. we can know them. Right. Yeah. yeah. And even not knowing things, we know that we can't know them, which is a form <laughs> of knowledge. So so again, uh, you know, Kant here is wrestling with that idea of, well, OK, how do we you know, how do we get a starting point? How do we get our feet underneath us? And uh, and he just says, well, you know, we kind of have to assume it. So given that knowledge is possible, said Kant, we should ask what 
are the conditions that make knowledge possible? So, okay, here he's saying we have not, we have a, a, a ability to know. Uh, so how is that possible? What must the world, the mind, the human thought, all these things that uh, commingle all together, so the outside and the inside, so, uh, you know, knowledge is an internal uh, mechanism, but also without an outside world, um, you know, the, the, the inside mind, um, um, you know, doesn't have anything to, to relate that to, uh, you know, I see a bird flying, so I, I assume, you know, there's things like air or a medium or for birds. it to exist in or the bird <laughs> itself or yeah. my eyes. So, you know, you know, it's the, uh, how, how far back can I go before I'm just that, uh, brain in the vat there. So what must the world, the mind and human thought, uh, be like if human knowledge is to be possible. And, uh, Kant said here that, uh, the transcendental method then goes ahead to ask what the necessary conditions of human knowledge are. Right. So, so notice transcendental has to do with transcending, right. Going beyond or behind our, our knowledge claims to ask, you know, what has to be the case in order for us to know anything? That's the basic idea of the transcendental argument, right? What, what, what are the conditions for knowledge, right? What has to be the case in order? So he's assuming that we can know stuff, right? And then he asks the question, what has to be the case for it? And so Van Til then picks up on this, right? <laughs> he studied under idealists at Princeton University in the 1920s and he and uh, emerged advocating a kind of transcendental method that was distinctly Christian, though. So he 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 added a twist to the transcendental uh, argument and made it basically a Christian. So like Kant, uh, Van Til was unhappy with empiricism and rationalism. So these were two competing views with regard to foundation of knowledge, right? Empiricism says all of our knowledge claims are based on our sensory perceptions. Our perceptions are are uh, gives us the basis of our knowledge claim. How do I know something? Well, I perceive it. I see it. I touch it. I taste it. That sort of thing. Rationalism, on the other hand, says, no, no, no. We're born with innate ideas. And so we can know math and, and uh, the laws of logic. They're just part of our equipment. And so there was this, you know, kind of um, back and forth between these two various uh, positions. Kant tried to bridge the gap right, with, with his thinking. And so now Van Til, who is unhappy with empiricism and rationalism, and by the way, with traditional ways of combining reason and sense experience. So he um, thought that they were both wrong in a distinctive theological way. And so he tries to deal with this issue from a theological perspective. Right. Uh, and th this is kind of an area of subject that I first, when, when I took my intro 101 to philosophy class uh, way back in the day in, in WMU, uh, you know, understanding that um, there, are, there are these knowledge claims that we kind of a priori, that's, you know, kind of one of the, the key words that uh, you have to define on your first test uh, there <laughs> is, is, okay, well, you know, how do you, how do you prove mathematics? How do you understand that you know mathematics? Well, you can do math, but how do you know that you're able to use it and, and, and be there? So uh, things like numbers or uh, uh, language associates to the real world, other people's minds, all those things are kind of um, uh, included in this uh, first discussion. So this is a, a very key and, and kind of central point within uh, the, the philosophical discussions of 
humanity. And so uh, this is what we even start uh, students with, at least uh, in my case, uh, uh, back in uh, uh, the early 2000s. All right, so uh, traditional methods, uh, methodologies applied to apologetics, said uh, Van Til, assumes that human sense experience, human reason, or both can adequately function without God. That is autonomously or neutrality. And so, uh, you know, th th this is uh, something that's uh, critiqued within the debate between classical and evidentialists and uh, presuppositionalists and uh, reformed epistemology and uh, cumulative case people is kind of what, what can we present to people that they're able to understand and presuppositionalists says, well, there, there's, there's nothing outside of uh, assuming that God exists that uh, people can truly know that they can have justification for that knowledge. They, they can know things, but they only know things in relationship to uh, a, a, a creator of, of the universe that uh, still exists, that holds uh, the universe together, uh, from whose uh, uh, direct character um, th these, these things are known and knowable. And uh, the classicalist tends to, to, to I think, in, in some respects, uh, say, well, you know, let us uh, reason together and let's see if I can convince you. And I'll just, you know, th throw a bunch of facts at you in a very um, well-presented way and, and you'll make your decision from there. Until right. saying, well, that, no, that's, that's not quite the case. That's not what we see in scripture. It seems to be kind of the exact opposite of what we're being told to do. So at the very yeah, so so, yeah. so the, the claim here then is that well you know based on human sense experience and human reason they function adequately and we really don't need God for their functioning. That's that's the claim here. And as you mentioned now, this is part of the ongoing, you know, argument between um uh different uh you know um folks with regard to is this true? Can can we can does our sense experience and our reason function adequately without God? Is it autonomous? Is there some type of neutrality where everybody is on the same uh, page with regard to you know how they reason and that sort of thing? Now you know in one sense we're going to see that yes, but in another sense, and this is what Van Til's issue is going to talk about is no, not really, right? Right, right, and uh, again. Once you get past your first keyword in the intro class, you realize that uh, the, the the philosophical ideas of the time get supplanted and revolutionized and the new one comes about and then it happens again and then it happens again and again. And so, you know, it, it, we're, we're always we're always sure that we know the things that we know in the time and place that we uh, know and exist un until a new revolution comes about and then the things that we knew are critiqued and uh, soon it's either assume that we can't know anything and that, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all nothing all the way down or, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that it's, it's, it's only your truly autonomous and, and neutral to you point of view that, uh, that you're able to kind of, uh, know and understand things, but it might not be right. Now we have kind of this new revolution of, oh no, no, it's, it's what, uh, you know, a, a, a certain political movement, uh, says is right. And so. Uh, it's it's uh, treading on the fact of of objectivity um, that was uh, uh, assumed and understood in the old system, and now it's just saying, well, you know, uh, now we're not taking a postmodern view; we're taking a kind of a post-ethical uh, view, where um, dictation of of the the ethical knowledge base is uh, 
just assumed and to to be against that is uh to be hateful and so that that's where um that's where we derive our meaning from is for you not to be hateful and to conform but uh whatever amorphous blob out there is is uh making those determinations that that's where that's where we should be questioning uh where they're getting their basis from all right so at the outset of a uh, uh apologetic argument the concede uh, the, the 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 other side the the non presuppositionists those who say no we can be autonomous we can be neutral they concede the whole game they adopt a presupposition contrary to the conclusion they wish to argue and they seek to gain knowledge of god by adapting a non theistic epistemology how we know things the only alternative Bantel argued is to adopt a theistic epistemology when arguing for the existence of God. Again, starting with that level of God exists and we know, we know him and can know him. And from there, that's how we know things instead of the other way of, well, okay, you, you know, you reason up from you and then uh, see if you can reach a conclusion of God and how, how much effort you put into it uh, is dependent upon you. And, uh, you know, if you're being truly honest, then you'll absolutely come to know God, except for those people that stick their fingers in the air and close their eyes or don't want to see the way that uh, the things that you are. If you just argue a little bit harder, uh, you'll get them there or you'll force them in or, you know, you point a gun at, at, at their head and say, believe in God. And that's, you know, uh, if, if they come to belief in it through that way, then then there you are. Yeah. So notice the, the claim here that. Um... Uh, this position is holding. So he, as you mentioned, right, this whole issue of autonomy, autonomy and neutrality. Can we know, experience, function with, well, without, uh, you know, reference or even without God, not just reference to God, but without God? And, and if we say yes, if we can say, well, yes, you know, we can you know, that uh, let's just, you know, we can have reason and, and experiences and that sort of thing without without God's existence. Then until it's claiming that kind of gives away everything. I mean, you know, now we're uh, uh, standing on what we think is a neutral position where we're all arguing from. And Van Til says that's not the way it works. Right. We're, so there is no what he's going to eventually say. There is no neutrality. Right. There is no. Uh, common uh, way to stand on this ground. That's that's what he's getting at here. And so we have to, you know, what he says is, is when we do that, we've adopted a presupposition that's contrary to the conclusion that we wish to argue, right? So our conclusion is that God exists. So let's just start by saying, well, he really doesn't. Now, we're, how far does that get us? Well, he says, no, we don't want to do that, right? <laughs> we're adopting a position that's contrary to where we're headed. And so uh, that's part of where he's going. And so, you know, uh, uh, Frame tells us that Kant answered the question, what are the conditions required for uh, an intelligible universe, right? How, how, do we, how do we come to know the universe? What makes it intelligible? And, of course, he answered that with his, you know, uh, phenomena and noumena distinction and is transcendental aesthetic and, and analytic. Then Till asks the same question, but uh, he gives a different answer, right? He says the condition of universal intelligibility is the biblical God. Uh, that approach seems to be viciously circular, frame, uh, frame tells us, you know, presupposing God in our epistemology and then using that epistemology to prove his existence. Clearly, that's kind of circular, right? 
But Van Til answers the charge of circularity, Frank tells us, by claiming that Christian circles, right, the Christian circle is the only kind that renders reality intelligible on its own terms. And so if you don't assume it, then you can't, uh, reality is not intelligible, is what he's arguing. We right. can't have knowledge if we don't have this basic assumption. So what's what's the basis? What gives us, what allows us to have knowledge? What's the preconditions for intelligibility is the way to put it right. <laughs> well, God, the existence of God. God gives us that pre, those preconditions that we need in order for us to have knowledge at all. So that's that's where this transcendental argument is is, is coming from, and that's the basic idea of it. Right. Uh, is, isn't it uh, uh, Zeno's paradox of like, uh, you know, you can never get where you are because you're always taking half and you have yeah. an infinite regress? Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. th this this is like asking, well, OK, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the what's the makeup of an atom? Well, an atom is electrons, neutrons, uh, protons. OK, what will make some proton? Well, there's quarks and all, all these other things. And then it's just asking that question kind of all the way down. And never assuming that there is a, a basic building block uh, that can't be uh, divided anymore. That is the the thing that makes up all 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 reality. Um, or uh, we just have continued on forever, and everything is infinite, and we can never get to where we're at because we're always traversing a series of infinites, which isn't possible. Because look, I've finished a sentence. Period. <laughs> so you know, I've 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 done I've I've ended the universe by by ending the sentence with a period. <laughs> And so here, you know, Van Til is saying, no, while it seems viciously circular, we, when you ask for an ultimate standard and we, we give you one, you can't say, well, you know, who made God? Well, no, that, that, that's the starting point for all existence is God. And so to ask, well, who created God? Uh, you're, you're asking for a series of infinite regresses for infinite, but we're, we're at a place where we're, we're an individual. And so how yeah. can we so be you an can individual? Always ask the next question. Well, who created, who created God? Well, who created, who created, who created God? <laughs> right. And right. so forth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pan Panspermia, uh, you know, uh, aliens uh, <laughs> dropped us off here and, and uh, that's how we were made. Oh, well, phew. I'm glad we know who God is. God is the aliens. <laughs> Except who made the aliens? Well, you know, there was a, a, a vastly intelligent uh, uh, of the intelligence that created it. So it's like, well, okay, then you just d do that again for infinite. And again, you can never get to where you're at because infinity has to happen in order for you to get to this point. But again, I've ended the sentence. So uh, we, we, we need an initial starting point. And uh, when we give you one, you can't be too mad at us. You can disagree with us <laughs> as the as that's the ultimate starting point. But we're trying to say that God is the uh, ultimate starting point. And here are the reasons why it has to be the case. And we get that through uh, theory of knowledge, through, uh, you know, the epistemology, through ethics and, and science and, and, and creation itself. And so that, that's what uh, uh, Tag is arguing here is that God is the, the first, the be all, end all. And from there, we can know things. That's what is, um, he's going to outline. So tag in an outline, the principle was not only a fact, but an argument for the existence of God. Without God, there is no meaning, truth, rationality, etc. cetera. Uh, therefore, God exists. To Van Til, this was the only legitimate proof of God's existence. A proof with any lesser conclusion, Van Til argued, makes God something less than he is. Well, he's the ultimate meaning. He's the Lord of all. Okay, now 
assume that uh, that's not the case. And uh, let, let's start from a rational basis of uh, the Kalam argument. But, but uh, I thought he was Lord of all. Don't you believe that? Oh, I definitely believe he is Lord of all. And he can tell me to do, do uh, you know, uh, you know, what, whatever he desires that's uh, not in conflict with his character. Well, okay, he's, he tells you to be, uh, th to make him Lord of all, and you just didn't do that. So do you honestly believe that? that that's what that's what the, the critique of, of that point of view should be is, well, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Uh, yes, uh, only of certain things. Well, if the answer is yes, then again, it makes him a, a different God than what's in the Bible. And so, uh, you know, we can call that uh, deism of, of some variety um, or, or uh, we're being inconsistent when we when we start with the argumentation of of uh, assumed neutrality. So a proof with any lesser conclusion than uh, makes God something less than he is. And we should not use arguments, he said, that prove that God is, for example, merely a first cause of an intelligent designer or a moral legislator. Again, uh, you know, uh, why is murder uh, deemed wrong? Well, because God on a Tuesday had a burrito and it disagreed with him. And he said, uh, I, I don't I don't want murder to be uh, the, 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 the thing that people do. Or he's saying, well, Here's, here are the rules that, that are in place that I have to play the cards by and I'm dealing them out. And while I deal them out, you should murder or else you lose the game. Okay, then who made those rules? And again, we get to the back to the infinite regress, but God has spoken. He's ended a sentence with a period and therefore uh, we, we are in, in existence. And so uh, unless if you're going to assume whoever the, uh, the creator of the rules of poker are is God, then... Um, <laughs> then uh, we, we have to find the source of that moral legislation in the character and the person of God. All right. And so, uh, you know, Frame says, so, you know, if someone uh, asks Kant what the conditions are that make knowledge possible, he says the answer must, first of all, be the existence of God, uh, the God of Scripture, right? That's That's kind of the presupposition that we need in order to make knowledge possible. Even when he tells us someone argues against, against Christian theism, Van Til said in order to argue against it, he has to presuppose it, right? Or he has to presuppose that notice that rational argument is possible and that truth can be conveyed through language. So we have to assume that reason and rational argument is possible. And we have to assume that truth uh, can be conveyed conveyed through language in order to argue against theism. And yet he he's suggesting here that there is no uh, good justification for these things, right? Um, and so uh, we they don't have, they're without foundation. And so he's arguing God has to be the foundation for these things. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically the idea of tag here. And, and now what uh, Frame is going to do is kind of give us tag in a nutshell next, I think, is, is where he's going with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we did see kind of this call to action to uh, be better atheists from uh, Scott Christensen, or I'm sorry, uh, from Mitch Stokes in um, How to Be an Atheist, where he calls atheists to, to actually uh, be better uh, skeptics, uh, skeptics right? of of, yeah. of God and stop stop treading on on our property uh, property or even rights. be better skeptics of their own <laughs> arguments their right. own positions exactly right? 
Exactly. Be skeptical of all things. Well, okay. How about that? Well, no, no, no. You can't question me. I'm the leader here. Or uh, uh, I, I used a quote recently in uh, the class that I take with uh, that I that I gave uh, to high school students, where I uh, talked about how uh, when when you reach a point in nihilism where you assume all uh, is hopeless, well, just take a bunch of drugs. One of them will eventually work. And, and uh, had, uh, just a lot of good quotes that that I've highlighted that I knew exactly where to find that one. So, all right. So what's tag in this nutshell? Well, let's, let's uh, crack it open. Uh, the, the exposition of tag would be something like this. God must exist if there is to be any meaning to the world. In a biblical worldview, God is the basis for all reality and therefore for all rationality, truth, goodness, beauty, etc. Unless God exists, there is no reason to assume the possibility of meaningful communication. This claim can be further conjugated into specific arguments about one, logic, two, the uniformity of nature, and three, the moral standards, which shouldn't be anything new for uh, those who have uh, watched or listened to our show before. These are tend to the three tend to be the three that uh, we kind of focus on as well. So unless God exists, there is no reason to assume the validity of logic, the uniformity of nature or the obligatoriness of moral standards, unless you want to say that they don't exist. By saying they don't exist, you're assuming they do exist because you're going to argue for them not existing, which is a logical argument. There's uniformity to them always not existing, and we should argue that they don't exist is correct because it's the the moral way to to take things. So good. Yeah, so what Frame now is going to do is kind of walk us through each one of these areas from the tag perspective and show us how tag works through uh, these particular areas, right? In other words, some of the more specific claims of, of tag, the transcendental argument. So let's start with logic demands the existence of God. Logic demands the existence of God, right? God is logically necessary, uh, says the, this particular perspective, in the sense that without him, the use of logic would be impossible. He is the source of all order in the world and in the human mind, including logical order. So God acts and thinks in accordance with the laws of logic, right? So he is logic. uh, God is logically necessary, and therefore logic is dependent on God. It would be impossible without God. Now, notice he's not saying that God is bound by the laws of logic. And so there was something, you know, above God, you know, that he that had authority over him. He's that's not what he's saying. Mm-hmm, right. He's saying the laws of logic and rationality are simply the the attributes of who God is, his nature. And and the logical structure of the world and the human mind is based on the fact that God is rational. So the creator is rational. That's who and what he is, right? And so uh what he created is based on the fact that he's rational and that he has wisdom and is reflected in creation. So God's existence is necessary to the very existence of logic. For God is the very source of logical truth. So that's the implications of the uh, of the tag argument with regard to uh, the notion of logic. Right. So so we're we're born into this into this world. We look around ourselves. Uh, after we've gotten some clothes, some some knowledge in our heads, uh, some food in our bellies, and we go, I want to be here and also over there at the same time. Ah, I can't, I can't do it. 
God doesn't stand in a universe prime and, and do the same thing. He doesn't say, I wish to be over here and uh, here at the same time. Oh, darn, I can't do it because there's some outside force acting upon him that doesn't make that necessary. From his own character, he does not want to be uh, split up because he is the ultimate being who uh, exists and has, has existed. And uh, again, from, from his own thoughts, he orders the universe. It's one of the reasons why uh, in the, the, the time and place that we're in these days, we, we have uh, kind of uh, faux uh, philosophies trying to supplant it. And by, by denying uh, these objective truths, uh, at some point, you can only uh, run a counterfeit for so long before you have to pay the real bill and uh, ultimately uh, wind up bankrupt. And so that's what we're seeing. We're, we're, we're seeing a, a, a world that is denying a, a logical creator who uh, orders the universe according to his character, and they're saying, no, we're in rebellion to that, and this isn't the first time it's happened, and each time the, the, um, the, the system gets uh, overturned and upended because there are things like uh, objective truths and laws of logic and uh, uh, ethical truths uh, within uh, the universe that are the exposition of, of God's character. And so that's, that's yeah. what we are seeing here. Exactly. So, for instance, you know, taking up, taking that up, you know, I can't say that this is computer and this same thing is not a computer in the same sense at the same time. Right. Well, why not? Well, because it violates, you know, the law of non-contradiction. Well, why is the law, law of non-contradiction true? Well, because it works. Why? Well, it just does. Well, where did <laughs> right. it come from? Well, it just exists. It, what, does it come from our brains? You know, they they if they're working right they will follow it but sometimes they don't work right and so you know they don't follow it so if it's just dependent on our brains we're in trouble right, right. and so the the tag argument says no we have to have a foundation an explanation for those things and we can't just say it's a brute fact right because that's not a good reason for something right, right. is 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 the uh, idea now you might say well the, you're saying the existence of god is a brute fact well, yes, but again, the, the question is, you have to stop somewhere. If you stop with the thing itself, then you really haven't explained it. Now, we can stop with God because we can say that it, it's part of who God is. He's the creator. It's part of his nature. We can't say that logic is part of its own nature, right? right? Because right. it doesn't work that way. Or right? part of us because we fail. Right. Now we can say it's part of the universe, right? But uh, then we uh, we're still at the same question: where where is that coming from? Right. So what Tag tries to do here is uh, suggest that there are some assumptions that need to be made with regard to God's existence in order for logic and reason uh, to to be intelligible and to exist. Mm -hmm. And without God, says this argument. They don't exist, right? That, that there's no foundation for that. We don't have good reason. Um, you know, we don't have a good reason for their existence. So, the the transcendental argument is trying to get us back to foundations. And again, mm -hmm. it's the question: What has to be the case in order for, in this instance, logic to be the case? Right. 
Exactly. And the answer he's suggesting is God has to exist. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the basic idea. Right. So it's not just log- logic, but also uh, ethics. Ethics demands also the existence of God. And ethical behavior and standards do not merely demand the belief in God, but presuppose his existence. All non-Christian ethical systems of thought are fraught with problems that disqualify them from consideration as a code of ethical conduct. This is one right. of the... the and, 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 that, and what that, I was going to say in the book, yeah. he gives us several examples of this, right? We don't, yeah. we don't have the time to get into right. this. This is not just an empty statement. He gives us examples of this. Right. And Dr. Anderson says this is one of his favorite uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, forks that he takes uh, for it. You would think, oh, okay, well, you know, this this uh, uh, big big name philosopher, uh, he's going to take the, the the laws of logic or or maybe the scientific uh, um, uh, necessity. But no, he says the, the, the moral consideration, the ethical demands uh, that demand that God exists, is the 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 one that hits people the most because you can always say well why is that the case why do you say uh you know and like all good uh arguments uh it always goes back to nazism but why was hitler wrong why why were why were what the nazis did bad well because it violated the ethics of the the time and place well okay but what about the time and place of of germany in, in that time well, you know, just certain people didn't like it. So, you know, uh, th- this was uh, the, the critique that I have of uh, Stein in, in his debate with Bonson was, well, okay, just draw the circle out bigger and encompass the whole universe. Why are you, why, why, why did you draw a circle around, you know, the Northern European powers of the time to say, oh, this is ethical because uh, there are more nations that looked down upon Germany at the time. Well, just draw it out and say that there exists a, a, a meta ethic within the universe. Why can't you do that? Or why, why do you, why do you stop at the, the continent? Why not go to the country and say, Oh no, it was perfectly ethical for them. That's, it was perfectly fine. And we can't say anything about it, but here the moral standards can be obligatory uh, only if their source uh, is a person who deserves absolute obedience and reveals his will to human beings. We have to know them. How do we know them? By like God's revelation, both in general revelation, uh, 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 Romans two, uh, you know, e- even the heathens out there, they order their <laughs> system through ethical means and they hold themselves accountable to an objective standard, uh, or a, a, a standard. And they, they even violate those things. Okay. So God reveals to us an ultimate standard within specific revelation through his word. And one of our, our objectives is to tell others about how to live the best ethical life possible, and that's through uh, the Christian worldview. Exactly. And and notice, morality is just like logic. It works the same way, right? Morality is first based on God's nature, not just what what his commands are, but who he is, right? Not some arbitrary fiat, right? Nor some principle (laughs) that's even independent of God, right? God could not will that cruelty is good, for cruelty, notice, is not good, right? It is incompatible with who God is with his nature. And so, you know, again, you know, when people argue about the divine command theory, well, that's not a Christian concept with regard to the source of morality, right? Morality doesn't come because of what God commands. God commands it because that's who he is. That's part of his nature. That's, you know, uh, part of his existence. And so when I say that ethics demands, uh, Frame tells us, and indeed requires God, he says, I do not mean that atheists and agnostics never recognize moral standards, right? They can recognize moral standards. In fact, to a certain extent, live up to them. 
But he says his contention is that an atheist or agnostic is not able to give an adequate reason for believing in absolute moral principles, right? They say, well, you know, uh, because pleasure, you know, we have to make, uh, you know, the greatest pleasure has to, well, why? Why is that the greatest good? Why mm -hmm. Why does that allow for, uh, well, maybe it's human flourishing. Well, why do we, why is it just based on humans? Why can't it be based on any other kind of, you know, ants, whatever, right? Yeah. Or altruism. So point, yeah. 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 And yeah. so his point is, you know, there's not an adequate reason for believing in absolute moral principle uh, outside of uh, those moral principles being grounded in the nature of God. And so this issue, again, gets us back to that grounding problem, right? What grounds logic? What grounds ethics and morality? And the tag argument is saying that the nature of God grounds these things. Right, right. Again, not not arbitrary, not based on some other principles, not by fiat. So, um, you know, e even there, the best Christian is against the Federal Reserve System because we're against fiat uh, <laughs> currency. <laughs> All right. And so uh, uh, the uh, third fork, uh, the prong of the fork, that's 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 the, the terminology I want to use, is uh, the uh, fact that science also demands the existence of God. Here, God has ordained the basic uniformity, a basic uniformity uh, to nature. These regularities in the natural world are what scientists seek to describe with formulas and theories. We're, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna codify things and we're gonna say, here's how we land a spaceship on an asteroid. Well, the <laughs> asteroid has to be traveling at a certain point. Well, we assume it's always an asteroid. We assume a constant speed unless acted upon an outside force or, or, or you know, uh, uh, it comes in contact with, with another uh, 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 body or gravitational force. And we're able to land uh, spaceships on asteroids. Well, how is that possible? If we're gonna just assume that this world is in chaos and everything changes and the only thing constant is change. Well, those formulas, those, those, uh, um, big g's over small g's and m2s uh you know mx plus b squared all those uh, ideas come about because there's an assumption of a codifiable regular description of the universe that will for uh, all intents and purposes hold and be consistent so that we can do these things and and call them out uh with with uh with these uh um uh expressions uh, that we use in our that we call laws right right exactly so the so-called scientific method assumed the general regularity and repeatability of an experimental process to validate a given hypothesis that's one of the reasons why oh well you know peer-reviewed articles are, are the are the best articles well why because you do them and then this other person does them because you're using an understanding that there is a repeatability because these laws hold and can be uh, generated again and again. So unless we assume predictability and regularity in nature, it is impossible for experimental science uh, to conduct its work. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, people want to say, well, you know, do you have an article on that uh, that's been peer reviewed that God exists? Well, you're just assuming that there is a repeatability to the universe. And can you show me why that would be the case? Where if I gave you the toenail of God, uh, the, that you could produce the same result that says, oh, yes, 
here, here indeed is the existence of God, uh, because I have also tested the toenail. Yeah. So you could ask them the same question. Could you give me an argument of why the laws of nature, you know, always are consistent? Right. Well, uh, you know, the uniformity of nature. Well, yes, but you're just saying the same thing, right? Right. And so what, what uh, Frame tells us here is theologically, these natural regularities that we call laws, right? These natural regularities in the natural world are expressions, notice, of God's covenant with Noah to keep the seasons regular, for instance. Right. So in Genesis 822, he says, while the earth remains, he's going, you know, all the seasons and the day and the night will continue to be the same. Without God, then, and this is the point, there is no basis for assuming any uniformity in nature. Things change all the time. And so the next time that I drop, you know, my pencil here, who knows what might happen, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, now, we, we think we know, but again, this is a problem of induction. You know, so folks are familiar with that. Hume brought it to light, right? That right. Uh, it's basically a circular argument to say that I know next time that it's going to fall if when I drop the pencil because it's based on, you know, what happened the last time, and I'm assuming that the future will be like the past. And I, if I'm an empiricist, there's no basis for that because – if I only based on my experience, mem- memories and that sort of thing, then, you know, I haven't experienced the future yet. So how do I know that? And so his point is, just like with these other areas, the uniformity of nature is based on God. Without God, there is no basis for assuming any uniformity. And without this uniformity, he says, obviously, we could have no assurance that, for instance, antitoxins used today will tomorrow not poisonous, right? right? Or whatever, right? Because again, change happens all the time. And so why do I assume that this time is going to be any different? Well, it's just based on some type of circular argument. And so the, the point here is and uh, that he is trying to ground this. So notice the same grounding that we've been talking about. He's trying to ground the uniformity of nature uh, with regard to the existence of God. So just mm-hmm. like logic is grounded in the existence of God and ethics is grounded in the existence of God, scientific claims with regard to how nature works has to be grounded, according to the tag argument, the transcendental argument, in the existence of God. And that's the point he's trying to make. That's what the tag argument made. So if we just start an argument, yeah, you know, says the tag says the tag er <laughs> with you know with reason just existing, and then we go from there. Well, wait a minute. He's saying you're giving away too much, right? Where did reason come from? Why are you able to use reason? You know, well, how do you justify that? Or right. if we just start the argument by saying, well, moral you know principles exist. Well, really, where do they come from? What's the basis of them? How do you justify that, right? Well, if we start the argument saying, well, this is what, you know, scientific laws, well, where do they come from and why do they work? Mm-hmm. And which, how do you justify that? And so he's suggesting that we need to go back a step and not allow the unbeliever or the person who is arguing against the existence of God to uh, to use those things that they have no good grounding for, no good justification for. That's and the tag argument tries to 
you know, over and over again, try to make that point. You need the grounding. You need the, what we just said, preconditions in order for these things to be intelligible. And the precondition for logic to be intelligible, that is for us to have it grounded and understand it and that sort of thing, and ethics and the laws of nature is the existence of God, says the transcendental argument. Right. Right. And as we close here uh, for this episode, uh, it's not enough to say these things. Well, you know, what's the precondition of intelligibility? These are perfect opportunities. And for those who aren't as philosophically minded, that's like, well, all right, tag's interesting and good. And I see the importance of it. But, you know, how, how, how do I do it without getting into the into Humean Kantian theory and stuff like that? These are the perfect uh, kind of uh, again, uh, prongs on the fork uh, to uh, open up God's word and show people why God is consistent and why he's, you know, the, the, the only source of truth. Uh, he does that within his word too. Again, like here the, of, of the, um, the Genesis eight uh, uh, promise uh, to uh, uh, while the earth remains to keep the season regular. Uh, we have a basis for that, that we can point to. We're saying God reveals it to us show them God's revelation. And, and that's why uh, I think we started this book by saying uh, one of the things you have to know uh, is your word. And that's from Genesis to revelation. Oh, darn. Now we have to read God's actual revelation to us in, in all its, it's all its form. Um, so th- uh, this is a way that uh, we can have practical application too, with just the normal people that we're working w- with or riding the bus with, or, or interacting with in our families, uh, this doesn't have to. We don't have to always take it to to the uh, to the Oedipus of 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 the, uh, the 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 towers of academia and and argue with the super smart people. This is a Vantelian a, a, a approach uh, where we can uh, bring it down to people and explain it to them on their level. Well, you know, why do you say things are true? Or uh, you know, you you work a machine press. Why why is it that? You uh, expect to program the computer to stamp out the, the the machine tool in this way, and you get that machine tool every single time. Well, the computer does it. Well, how do you know that the, the code of the computer uh, will remain consistent? Well, I don't know. That's just how it's programmed. Okay, now there's an ample opportunity for you to derive uh, an example to uh, to our understanding of the universe uh, from God from that. So all mm-hmm. these avenues are opened up to us when we kind of understand this. We're saying, let's get above where we're at and, and look and see why it is the case that the things are the case. So that's what we're doing here with Cat Tag. All right, long episode. Probably uh, join us next time as we get halfway through the rest of the chapter, and then mm-hmm. uh, we'll see where we go from there. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.